0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile.
1: Podcast world, this is Andy Richter, and you have tuned into another edition of the Three Questions. And I am very excited to have uh, the lovely, talented presence of Tawny Newsom on the show today—the very funny oh. comedian, and actress, and singer, and bon vivant, uh, outdoor enthusiast. Uh, yeah. you're, you're very outdoorsy, right?
2: I am. I'm currently indoors, but I like I do like to be outdoors. I haven't yeah. done a lot of outdoors outdoors recordings yet.
1: <laughs> well, no, yeah. but I mean, I mean because I, you know, I follow you on all the socials and uh and you camp a lot. You're you're like one of those very camping and hiking and, you know, lots yeah. of pictures of you out in the middle of nowhere. Um yeah. have you always been that
2: way? I think so. Yeah. I grew up in Northern California and my mom was always taking me on a little hike or a little climb or a little camp. And, uh, I moved to Chicago and lived there for a long time. And the only, uh, you know, there's not a lot of outside in the Midwest. Like you get like three months a year and then you yeah, still have yeah. to drive five hours to go to starved rock or whatever the fuck and walk on some planks for a while. Um, yeah. so my husband and I, we would travel and because we didn't have a lot of money, I was like, well, if we're going to pay all this for a plane ticket, we got to like camp and do like cheap things like walking in the mountains, which is almost free. So it was kind of, yeah, I did it as a kid, but it was sort of born out of necessity of like, well, I want to travel and see cool places, but I can't afford to spend all of the money all of the time. On
1: hotels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I get that. That's great. Do you like to be outside?
1: Uh, I do like to be outside, but i like to sleep in a bed and, and uh, poop on a toilet. Uh, On it. You know, that's, uh, well, you know, sitting on it while pooping, okay. um, not on the toilet. I mean, unless I'm really angry at someone, you know, like a restaurant or, yeah, a, you know, a CVS. Yeah, that's how you yeah, get that's back at them. them. That's, yeah, that's my letter to the editor. Um, <laughs> um, no, I I have, I mean, I have camped, but I just, you know, I don't, and I don't, I've never like slept the night in a tent, but I have, I have a couple times I used to have a Toyota pickup truck and I have slept in the back of the pickup truck in camping and it was just miserable. I just was, oh, really? I could not, I was going to say could. that's
2: so cool.
1: I, it was, it. it's beautiful for a while, but then in the sleep, when you finally do go to sleep, I found, my, I found every, like there would be, you know, you'd hear literally animals walking around you don't know yeah. what it is. You know, it's like, but there would be animals walking within 10 feet of the truck, and I it would wake me up, and I'd be like, is that a mountain lion or a raccoon, <laughs> you know? Um,
2: it's a fair and, question.
1: And I just – I so, yeah. I like – I mean, I've taken my my kids, and, you know, we have gone camping kind of, but it's there's like a little cabin to sleep in. Like, and I yeah, still yeah. feel like that's – you're still kind of – you go outdoors, but at least you get to go and sleep in a bed.
2: It and, is. You know, I don't believe in the shaming of, like, you have to be sleeping on a hard thing. No, I like I like just, like, when people can get outside in a way that makes them comfortable. So yeah, yeah. I, I love a cabin.
1: Yeah. And I also, too, you know, the, the mountains, I'm from Illinois, so it's, like, the exact opposite. Whereas I'm much more comfortable in kind of green, sort of, you know, woodsy, lakey kind of Midwestern yeah. wilderness. The mountains are... I don't know what to do with them. You know, I I I don't uh and it's too dusty here, you know. I like I just yeah. I miss green. I miss I miss like just the relentless green of of the Midwest, where like if you you know, you leave something for ten minutes and it just gets overgrown. Whereas yeah. here You leave something for 10 minutes and it turns to dust. You You have
2: beef jerky. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. Um, So where where from Northern California are you?
2: I'm from a town called Vacaville. Um, When I was a kid, I used to be like, it's right outside San Francisco, because I felt like that made it sound cool. But it's like. Forty-five minutes from both San Francisco and Sacramento, it's kind of close to Napa, which makes it sound cool. But it's just a deeply—I mean, you're from Illinois. It's like a—it's like an Aurora, Illinois. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's one of those towns where it's like we have a giant Target. We had a lot of like we had a Chili's, you know. <laughs> we had a yeah, lot of yeah. big big box stores and chain restaurants, and and, and I imagine in San Francisco,
1: I imagine kind of agricultural or started out being agricultural. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Very, very, yeah, there's still, like, really green spaces uh, around it that are all just, like, alfalfa fields and yeah. oat and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, 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 I mean, that whole, you know, you get past the Great, you know, whatever, Bakersfield, and it's just, like, 70% of the food in the country comes from here. Yeah. You know, from there, yeah. What do they call it?
2: The, the sun basket? Did I make that up? It's like I a, don't know. I don't the know, term for growing all the food.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um But I mean, well, what, I mean, how was it growing up there? Did you know, what kind of, is it like a little, is it, it's big enough that you feel like you're kind of, it's not like, you know, everybody, right. It's, it's still enough where it's kind of.
2: Yeah. You, you really don't know everybody ever. So my dad's family lived there from, you know, the, the sixties or late fifties maybe. And um, they kind of knew everybody back then. And so through them, like growing up, I I knew a lot of families, but um, not like no. When I was in high school there, I think there was like ninety thousand people in the town, and everyone works in San Francisco, and everyone's kind of a transplant, so it, it doesn't have like a small town feel. Um, but you know, my parents are split, and so my mom's house, I lived on a ranch in a smaller uh <laughs> enclave called Allendale, which was just like a rural non-town. It was just like the, it was like the orange rind <laughs> of of a town. <laughs> it was just like, I, I lived in the Peel of yeah, yeah. California, um, yeah. but we had horses and we had like a ranch and we kind of knew the people in our little community, but I don't know. I, I also think I come from kind of paranoid separatist Parents who were like, don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to these people.
1: Oh, really? Do you feel that way? Yeah. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Yeah. It's stuck with me, too. I live in in a rural area now, and I don't, I don't talk to anybody. I, we know one neighbor, and the rest right. of them, I'm like, they don't need to know me.
1: <laughs> Wait, is, it, is it a diverse area in any way, or is it pretty white?
2: <laughs> uh, where I am now.
1: No, where, no, where? Oh, Vacaville? There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: Vacaville was super Latinx and super Asian. Not a lot, like when my dad's family moved there, they were one of six black families, or maybe seven, I think. Wow. In the 60s. And yeah. there are more, but not a ton. Um, yeah, my yeah. high school was really, really diverse, but not very black. Yeah, yeah. And and was that, I mean, what what was it that
1: your parents instilled in you? Like, why kind of stay away from these people? What was it about the people they were conservative, they were, or were yeah. they just sort of generally, <laughs> generally like skeptical, like paranoid people that are, you know?
2: Yeah, I think both. I think it's definitely like a concert for being so close to the Bay area. It's a conservative town for sure. Yeah. Um, so my dad for sure was like, don't talk to these white people. You cannot trust them. Um, meanwhile, I'm like, then why did you choose to live here your whole life and my whole life? Um, <laughs> but, you know, my mom's white and I don't think she was, she's a bit more centrist. And I don't think she was like thinking of it in those terms. I think they're both just like, you just can't trust folks and you don't need to know anyone. And, you know, we have all we need and we'll make our friendships and our coworkers and stuff. But outside of that... It's not, like, a friendly—I think that comes a little bit from the Bay Area, too. Like, there's not, like, a wave to your neighbors kind of vibe. Um, Hmm. I don't know why. I hear that a lot about, like, Seattle and, like, the Pacific Northwest. So maybe there's some kind of regional—you know, I moved to Illinois, and in Chicago, I felt like, whether it was sincere or not, everybody's super friendly. Don't you feel that way in Illinois?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Like, and as you get—well,
1: I I mean, it's all predicated (laughs) on— You you like you I was I was about to say like in in the in the small because I grew up in a town called Yorkville which like you said you said Aurora which was that was our town like when you went into town mm-hmm. and I I lived it was an hour drive from from Chicago but it might as well have been three you know because yeah when we would go into town it would be Aurora which is a you know sort of me, medium sized midwestern city that at for a while was very thriving and had industry and stuff. It was on a river and, you know, it was like when a river actually mattered, you yeah. know, to the actual industry of a town. A and, river. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, yeah. We can make mills, you know, like we can use the water <laughs> to power things. Right. And, our logs um, can
2: travel now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was, but, you know, and it fell into, you know, decay and disrepair sure. and the, you know, empty downtown and stuff like that. Um, so I, but I'm from Yorkville and you could say, oh, you go into the coffee shop and everybody's friendly and they want to talk to you. But that is, of course, probably if you're white, you know, like it's sure. like it's not it It wouldn't be the same for, you know, like you said, Latinx people or or black people or Asian people. I mean, I don't think so. I don't know what it is now, but I can certainly say yeah. back then. And there were still there's still in rural areas where you would go. As, as a white stranger and still get kind of scowls, you know, yeah. but it's,
2: that's, but there's- You look too city. You I look don't, too yeah. lefty city. Uh,
1: yeah. Or like just who, or just, we don't ever see anybody unfamiliar faces and, sure. you you know, and like, so we're like, well, what the hell are you doing here? And it might not be hostile. It might just be, you know, baffled uh, and, and yeah. I'm <laughs> interpreting it as such,
2: but I, yeah, but but that's it why- is- I love Chicago so much because Chicago was so like, Chicago was the first place where I was like, oh, there's like, not only are there a ton of black people, but they're like doing things. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you go to a bank and like, you need to see the manager of the bank because your account's locked or something. And that is a black person. Like you're talking to black people in positions of like, not even just power, but just like everyday middle-class life that I so was not used to. There were a couple of like, very wealthy black folk actually that owned like big ranches in my area. Um, And then there were like, you know, not as well to do folks. So Chicago, I was like, oh my God, here we are just like being, it's not like, oh, there's the special guy who owns the Chevy dealership. Speaking of a very specific black Vacaville family. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always wished we were because I'm like, man, you guys got everything. You got horses, you got the car dealership. You figured it out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You could go, yeah. You can travel however you want. Uh, yeah. Horses, cars. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, I've I've heard. I can't. I mean, I can't remember. I think I've heard a couple of different black entertainers. I think maybe Chappelle was one of them. Say. I went to Africa and I just couldn't get over it. like everybody's black. Like, oh, yeah. my God, I
2: can't believe it. And I, you my, know, my friend <laughs> always says we're on the money. Like you go to Ghana and she's like, <laughs> we're on the fucking money. When do you see that? And I was like, oh, yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> we're that not makes on sense. Any money. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you know, growing up in a
1: pretty lily white area, because I mean, when when our county got our first black family, uh, they were two towns over. Everybody knew like we have a black family, and it wasn't like, oh, we got a black family." It was like, right. "We have a black family," you know. Like, look <laughs> at us, you know. It's you know, and it's like uh, 1976, and we're like, like you "Oh, the hooray! First refrigerator. Finally!" Yeah, and and again too, it's an it's an hour outside of Chicago, and it just took that right. long, and uh, Ugh, and it was I funny it. too because then shortly there are a few different families moved in after that and i mean it's so it's ridiculous that i you could very you know like there was a census an unofficial census of the black people that move in and in our neighboring town uh i had one of my one of my favorite teachers taught there and at our school she split her time and uh she said that this black family had moved in and they had three sons and they were all like tall and the whole town was like salivating over the notion of like, all right, we have some athletes. And they were nerds. They uh-huh. were like, <laughs> they were like yep. genius book nerds, you know, and like yep. absolutely unable to play basketball, which is, it's so oh my funny. God.
2: Well, that was, that was fully me because I'm the oldest cousin. So of the Newsoms, my, all my dad's siblings were all athletes. And they yeah. all went to Vacaville High. My uncle played pro ball. He still, he works for the uh, the Ravens, but he played for the Cleveland Browns. Um, uh-huh. My dad was like a wrestling and basketball guy. My uncle was like a wrestling guy. Another one was a track star. My aunt was a track star. So when I showed up at Vacaville High for or freshman orientation, they still had, you know, my, my youngest aunt is only like 11 years older than me. So, and, and my, even my dad is like pretty young. So they still had all their records on the wall. You just see like newsome records for like wrestling yeah, yeah. And blah, 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 And I'm an only child and I'm the oldest like cousin. So I walk in and these, after the orientation, they get all of our names and stuff. And these coaches are coming up to me afterwards. They're like, ah, finally, this generation's coming through the Newsoms. All right. So we're going to get you signed up for basketball. We're going to get you signed up for track, blah, blah, blah. And I literally just looked at one and I was like, Where's the drama club? <laughs> and their faces yeah. just fell. Uh, I'm so boy. sorry, man. What a
0: waste.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you what a Um, waste. <laughs> um uh, no, I mean I that's I when I stopped playing football because I'm large. I, I actually had a coach say, what a waste, what a waste, like, like <laughs> fuck you, man, it's my life, It's and it's, you know. I need to do what I want, man. Yeah, it's my brain, I don't want it rattled around. Um,
2: also, I'm like, fuck you, there's plenty of other ways I'm wasting my life, you don't get to decide what I'm wasting, <laughs> you don't yep. get to decide how I'm wasteful. Yeah, <laughs> and also,
1: you're tall, too, so I bet that was even more, yeah. you know, like, oh, here, here she comes, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They just, yeah, especially like in the smaller towns, sports is like the main commodity. It's, you know, it's when I, when I did okay. stop playing football, I did, I did kind of like feel there was like a little bit of ostrac, you know, I went and got a job at the grocery store instead. And, and yeah, there was a little yeah. bit of ostracization about that, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, not, you know, which is fine because again, like did you if we had, I did, I quit. You just didn't like it? No, I quit because after my sophomore year, at the end of my sophomore year, they got a new varsity coach and that coach wanted everyone to come in for voluntary strengthening and conditioning sessions five days a week for two hours a day in the summer. Oh. And, uh, and I was like, what? And, and he, in this meeting no. said, <laughs> now he said the IHSA, which is the, uh, the, the Illinois high school, athletic, whatever. They won't let us have practices because there was a certain, you know, it's like a day in August that you could start having practice for football. Like you couldn't practice all, you know, around the clock. So they could have voluntary. So so these are voluntary, but I think you all know what voluntary means. And all these guys are like, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, no, I'm not. I, I went home and I told my mom and my stepdad, And God bless him. I said, I said, yeah, he wants us to come in five days a week at like you know from like four to six, you know, and run sprints and lift weights. (laughs) And uh, and both of them said, well, you're going to quit, aren't you? Like, (laughs) I was like, yes. I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. So, I mean, I still i i played i played on the tennis team in the spring, you know. But I mean, our tennis team was like. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think we ever learned topspin. It was more like ping pong, but on a on a larger ah. scale, you know. Damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I hope no one's listening, Andy. They'll be crushed. They'll think, no. that they, they're like, man, I had a tennis career in high school.
0: <laughs> we were
1: great. No. And then they no. hear this and they're like, yeah. we're trash. Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
2: Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
1: Can't you tell my love's are growing? So you're 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 an only child? I am, yeah. Yeah, and how how do you feel about that? Like do you come away feel I mean, do you think about it? Do you wish you'd had siblings? Do you
2: Yeah, there's definitely times when I've gone back and forth. I mean, the truth is I don't I don't know how else it could be, but I do feel a little like, um, because I'm a Star Trek person, I always put it like when uh when data from the next generation is like learning traits about humanity where he's like, Ah, this is laughter. I feel like that when I look at people like talking to their sisters and brothers a a way I didn't know was possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, like, yeah. Huh this is a sibling relationship. Fascinating. Right. Um So like some of that stuff, I feel like left out of a little bit. Um, whenever I, ha- whenever I get cast to have like a sister or brother in like a show, I feel like that's the most unrealistic acting I do. Cause I'm just like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, know how yeah. you act with one of right, these. Right,
1: right, right. <laughs> uh, well, I yeah. mean, you, I mean, did it hurt? I mean, you learned how to sort of like, did it, was it, was it a barrier like with, relationships, whether they were platonic or romantic or something that you hadn't, hadn't, you know, had people your age that you had to sort of live with?
2: Yeah, maybe. Cause you know, uh, a lot of my friends do tend to be a little older than me. So maybe, maybe I got that from, I've never thought about this, but maybe I got that from constantly having to relate to kind of those aunts and uncles I told you about, or, or my parents. Um, and, and my parents now we have like a really good friendship, so it, And it feels very comfortable to be friends with people their age as well. So, yeah. yeah, maybe that's from not having a ton of folks my age running around. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I know, I mean,
1: I know only children who, who, on one hand, lament not having siblings. And then others that are like, no, I liked it. I liked that, like, me and my parents were kind of like a little team and that, mm. you know, they they didn't have to split their attention to anyone else. Um, And those fuckers are megalomaniacs, those ones. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) You know what I
2: think I did like, because I know I don't do well with it now, is I liked that, like, as a kid, as a teen, whatever, if I was having a bad day, my parents could decide how to deal with it, whether they wanted to deal with me or not. Um, And, you know, and they were split. So this is like two households. And then I had like step parents, too. But there was no one in my life where if they were having a bad day, but I was having a good one that they were going to like bring the vibe down. Like Uh, we're not at the zoo and my little brother's melting down. So now I get my day ruined. Like I didn't have any of that.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, that, yeah, that, yeah, that is nice. You do get used to that. And that, you know, I think, (laughs) I think if you come from lots of people, you, you consciously strive to not have to have to deal with that. And then you end up, you know, probably seeking out that kind of subconsciously seeking out, like, you know, like, oh, I hate all this, all these attachments and all this stress you have to feel about other people. And then you are drawn to it all, you know, throughout the rest of your life. Like,
2: hello, improv, let me find a group of familial uh, weirdos that we can take out all of our (laughs) (laughs) desires with on stage.
1: (laughs) I, you know, because like for me, I, uh, you know, my my whole, my issues are, that I I, I'm a codependent like I just I mean not like I you Mm -hmm. know I help people be alcoholics but I mean I I live and I can say I live a little too much for other people you know like and I and I was I was you know I was the middle child I had an older brother and younger twin brother and sister so I'm I ended up being the de facto middle because the the younger ones were you know and I mean they're the same age and nine years younger than me And so, the keeper of morale, and taking care of everybody, Mm -hmm. and making sure everybody's happy, and kind of, you know, not, not knowing like, you know, like I still have the issue of like, what do I want to do? Uh, And then I kind of like, well, if I wait around long enough, someone needier than me will speak up and say, "I know what we need to do," and I'll go, "Okay, yeah, I'll do that," you know.
2: Oh, I hello, like that. Hello, hello talk sweet. show
1: sidekick. <laughs> uh,
2: and, um well, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I watched you for many, many years and I don't think needy was ever like a word that crossed my mind.
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, I mean no, I mean not I'm not i I'm not needy. I, I like tend to service needy people, you know. Oh, I
2: see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm sort of like, well. Like I don't know what I want, and then there'll be a voice like, Well, I'll tell you what I want, you know, like <laughs> oh okay, all right, let's do that, and it's like it's 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 not great, but yet I go into improv, you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I'm like oh i'm I'm tired of servicing other people, I'm tired of like never figuring out what I want out of life. I'll do improv like i'll I'll be mm-hmm. a talk show sidekick, i'll you know, I'll you know, there's other, there, there's other areas of my life. I can't really, it, that I can't just throw out like that. But, uh, but sure. that were, it was a similar kind of thing where I, I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, let's do that. And, you know, and here I end up, I'm 55 years old and I'm still kind of like, I really should figure out what I want to do. You know, I really should <laughs> figure out what, what, what I want, but like improv, I still, to this day, when people say, and I kind of dabble in stand up every now and then, and, uh, but people will say like you don't want to do stand up, and I say I don't like being on stage by myself, and yeah, I really same. truly don't. I don't understand the 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 like juice that people get from standing yeah. by themselves on stage in front of a bunch of strangers that you can't even really see because they're sitting in the dark, and then hearing them laugh and going ha ha. I'm always like ah. right. <laughs> I I you know like that just feels weird. I don't I don't yeah I, I like you know and I've said this before like. On the Conan show for years, I, the audience's laughter, it's nice. It's nice, and I like it, and I understand it pays the bills. But the laughter that I was looking for was, like, the cameramen, because they've yeah. seen all my shit. You're collaborators, so it's like, for yeah, sure. Yeah, well, and it's just, well, it also, too, if I can surprise them, because, like I say, they know, they've heard it all, it all yeah. from me. Yeah. If I can surprise them and make them laugh, I'm like, yeah, you know, like, that's what I yeah. want. I want, you know,
2: laughter a, from um, people I know. Yeah, there was a uh, we had a longtime stage manager at Second City. I I was there for like 5 or 6 years. Um and his name was Craig Taylor and he'd been there I think 38, maybe 39 years and he had seen it all. He had seen it all and people had all these nicknames for him. They'd call him Lights, they'd call him Dr. Out because he was the guy pulling the lights on the improv right. set. So he he knew when a when a blow was coming, he knew exactly yeah. when to pull it. It's like he he'd seen so much comedy, so much specific second city improv comedy on that specific stage with all of those audiences that he just knew it so well so anytime he would come backstage after every show but anytime he would pull you aside and be like you know tony that bit you did about the guy in the canoe that was funny it was like it was like somebody had given you a lump of gold you're like oh my god ct thought i was funny exactly yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah What so you were you always theatrical like even as a little kid did you were you drawn to acting and performing and stuff?
2: I'd love to be like no, I just stumbled into it. But the truth is, there are full on pictures of me like performing all of Les Mis in front of like a group full of confused black adults at Christmas. Like there's this, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no chance I wasn't very uh, confident and very yeah, yeah. Uh, happy to perform. Um, uh, one memory that haunts me is I I got really into like jazz singing for a couple years when I was like, I don't know, 13, like 12 or 13. I had like some choir teacher that was like, you know, what? you should sing as jazz. And so at some family party, we were in Oakland and my dad was like, oh, yeah, Tawny's gotten into like jazz singing. And this guy who lived there was like, oh, I play a little alto sax. And my dad's like, you guys should duet. Now, a 13-year-old and an alto sax have no business performing together. (laughs) There's just no way in a living room of a cramped little, like, brownstone house is that going to sound good. (laughs) But we tried to sing, we tried to do in a sentimental mood, and I don't think, I think maybe I had picked a key. I think maybe there was something happening with, like, you know, brass is in, like, concert key, and I probably had plucked it out on a piano or something. So I think we were just perpetually offset the whole time just trying to... Warble together, and I just remember the tepid claps of the parents. And then the worst part was the girl who there, who was kind of my age. I was maybe twelve, but she was like sixteen. So I thought she was so cool. She lived in Oakland. She came into the room to see what was going on. She watched for two seconds. Her friend walked up behind her, and she goes, "Let's go." And just turned. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, she's watching this sad scene of this man warbling on a saxophone, trying to find this thirteen-year-old fake jazz singer."
1: Oh. Oof. Uh, well, but you know, I
2: learned how to bomb early, so. Right. Oh, that's,
1: at it. <laughs> that's, that, that's one of the things why, like, uh, I also don't like stand up is because I know having to get good at it means failing alone. Like it's one yeah. thing to fail on stage when you can go back and there's five other people to go like, man, that sucked. But it, when it's yeah. just you, you're like, oh my God, I, they pulled down my pants and you yeah. and laughed at what they saw. Uh, why did
2: they harm me no, you're yeah. right. when there's other people you can almost even kind of go like Ugh, that audience was wild huh like it's right their right and yeah exactly
1: exactly <laughs> oh boy that was a lousy crowd you know yeah um so in high school i mean did you have uh, did you have a outlet for that like was there a pretty good theater program and
2: um i don't know that it was good but we did it uh yeah yeah we were kind of living in the shadow of this other high school in town our our rival high school and the only way they didn't know we were their rivals, but uh oh, yeah, other yeah, high That's school called Usually
1: how it works.
2: Yeah. see Wood and they had all these uh like they were they were an arts focused kind they were a public school, but they had a lot of like artistic things and cool teachers that had come from San Francisco and New York City and were teaching cool musical theater classes there. And so we just always felt like we were the drama kids at a sports school. Mm-hmm. Um so our shows were kind of lackluster, our talent pool. You know, we'd lose our our Billy, uh, what's his name? Billy Bigelow from Carousel was like the star quarterback. So we like lost him during rehearsals to go play football. Yeah. So there was all this stuff where I was like, it was just very like underdog syndrome. But, you know, it was, a, it was a place to do it. There was also a community theater in town that I would try and go audition for. I remember auditioning for Pippin at 13. And they were like, you are too young, but- Congrats, keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so did uh did you go to college then uh studying? Yeah, so I went
2: to DePaul, yeah, for theater school. Oh, you it went to very... Chicago.
1: Yeah, that was that was yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, how come how come DePaul?
2: You know, you I think I had applied at a Catholic lot of Yeah, I love nuns. I love the church. (laughs) I was like, how do I get close to nuns, but like with textbooks in my hand? Um, (laughs) No, I think it was because I wanted uh, like a conservatory, like an arts focused conservatory, not just a a BA. For whatever reason, I was like, I need a BFA because I need to definitely not have a fallback plan. Um, So (laughs) I applied to Tisch Juilliard, which was ridiculous. That audition process was so, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, and then yeah, I've, like I've Boston heard. Conserve, I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it, and just DePaul was the one that you'd like the they most. They gave me
2: money. They gave oh, me money, wow. Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Juilliard and Tish were like, don't, please don't call us again. But <laughs> I feel like Boston and Carnegie Mellon were like, sure, you could come here for zero dollars. You're just going right, to give us right. all your money. And DePaul was like, we'll give you some money. Oh, that's nice. Um, well, yeah. and also you got
1: you got to go to school in Chicago, which is yeah, I, Chicago is an awesome town. It's a great it's place. My favorite, yeah, it really is yeah. great. And um, did you were you were you focusing on comedy? I mean, did you did you like comedy I, before you started? Before you were in Chicago, or
2: I really did like comedy before. You know, my friends and I we would watch SNL or we would watch The State or Stella. All those guys a lot and we always felt like we were trying to dig into the, the alt comedy scene as teens, like not quite understanding uh, how to, how to pursue that ourselves because there wasn't like a, I wasn't aware of like, oh, you could go take classes at second city or IO or whatever. In my head, I was like, well, I have to like be an actor and I have to do theater. So I guess that means like going to a real theater school. And DePaul is very um, serious. They take Mm. themselves very seriously. And, I, I don't know that I was gunning for a comedy career, but I think if you asked my uh, instructors there, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what you were trying to do. Because I was just constantly, it's like I never had like a class clown issue in high school, but for some reason in college, I think because I was just bucking against the like extreme self-importance of mm-hmm. this like acting school. Yeah. And so I was always kind of like taking the piss a little bit, you
1: know? I can, I can see that, yeah. Because yeah. I only took a couple of acting classes, and the just the pretense and the silly, uh, I just was like, "What?" Uh, I I always think back to Charles Grodin wrote a, who, you know, who's a curmudgeon for sure, but yeah, <laughs> he he talked to, in a book that he wrote about uh, his early acting days, and like Stella Adler, and you know, like these amazing yeah. conservatories. And they would give, they would give exercises and he would go, why? Like, why? <laughs> like, you know, like be a tree. Why? Why? Yeah. Why am I being a tree? And he, he would like kind of refuse to do it because they could, yeah. and they could never give him an answer as to like, I mean, you can sort of vaguely say, well, it's to get you out of your head and to just kind of like make yeah. you not, you know, not.
2: Get you to y- make different choices. Yeah. And stuff. also
1: a lot of it is just to submit like, to submit yes. to the text, to submit to a director, to just, like,
2: There's put a it lot out. of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, like, mind control, like, breaking down your individualism a little bit. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. What I realize now is that that gave me such a foundation to do, to be in comedy, but to do harder work that, you know, a lot of my friends who are in comedy who just kind of came up through comedy don't always have the tools to... Uh, you know, not like I'm some fucking great actor or whatever, but it do, it did make me feel like, oh, shit, like I went through some, all that bullshit so that I don't. There's never a script I get that I'm like, oh, I feel a little outpaced by this. I feel like I can figure it out or I have the tools to figure it out. And right, I, I right. do think it came from that very intensive, very annoying theater school. So yeah. I got to give it to them. It, you know, I paid a lot of fucking money even after they gave me money. I paid a lot of money to basically be like, all right, fine. You guys, <laughs> you have some good things to say.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, did, were you in a lot of shows? I mean, is that part of it? Do you put on shows? or Are you no. constantly?
2: No, they're what? assholes. And no, they're assholes. And they don't put you in things unless you're like their star pupil. But here's what I want to say. If you go into a theater school and you're already great and they're putting you on the stage, then I think you're not actually learning. You're not actually there to do what they need you to do, which is that breaking down, pulling down your habits, teaching you how to rebuild a little bit. Because I was not, I was not considered good. So I didn't get roles. I didn't get to really like, I didn't really get to like show my stuff. And the people who did, well, I mean, to be honest, the people who did are not acting now. So I'm like, I feel like they peaked. I feel like they showed up there ready to go fresh with their, you know, with their high school talent and were great at the time. And maybe didn't like do the thing we were all there to do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, they I also kinda... cut us. They they reduced our school. You start with 50 and you get reduced down to 20.
1: Oh, right, right. I've heard that about those conservatory so kind of things. It's brutal. It's awful, you know? I think, yeah. it, I think it was Joel Kim Booster was on the show and he was in a conservatory and then got kicked out of it so that he went from huh. BFA to BA and he was like, you know, it felt awful at the time, but it ended up being great. Yeah, you know, he yeah. ended up like he got to then go study other things. I mean, my son's in art school and he was he's decided and I think it's a real wise decision to not go for a BFA because sure. he's like, I want a, I want a college life. I don't want to sit in a studio and paint like all yeah. the time. And that's and, you you know, I would take him on college tours and they'd be like, oh, yeah, if you come here. You're going to be painting all the time. The workload <laughs> is unbelievable. Twenty-four-seven. Yeah. yeah, you won't be. You won't be doing anything but sitting in here painting. And I'm like, what? Are <laughs> and he was like, I don't want that. And I'm like, like No, that I don't bad. want. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want you to have that either. Because I want him to have fun. I mean, I want him to yeah. have fun all the time. I'm not. I'm probably not. Like, I don't know if I'm. If that's a way, I'm a bad dad. But I'm kind of like. Hey. <laughs> None of it really matters. You know, it's like, you know, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know if you want to be, if you want to wait tables, you can make a living waiting tables and you can be happy. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, none of it sure. matters that
2: much. So it doesn't matter as long as you're happy. And as long as you feel like you have enough structure for what you want to do, because that was my yeah. criticism of DePaul and and most art school. I had other friends in other schools at the time. And I think that has changed a lot now because they realize like, ooh, we got to teach these kids to be hustlers. Because what I didn't learn until really until I got out of school and started doing like more theater and comedy stuff and found Second City was that I I needed to learn. They needed to teach us how to be freelancers. They needed to teach us how to be disciplined, like artists and hustle and make money and, you know, sell ourselves and all that stuff. And they were just so focused on the craft and the work mm-hmm. that we didn't learn how to like, you know, do, I don't know, find an accountant Right, right. Like, we we needed that real life stuff. And I think a lot of artists, because we are, if you have an artist's temperament, you're drawn to a freelance lifestyle, but you are the worst person to be managing your own time and yes. and, and money.
1: And money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you they're definitely, every, every single creative school like that should also teach you about some kind of money management. Um yep. Because, although I don't even know if it's possible, like- Budgeting when you're freelance, because I kind of started – I went to film school in Chicago at Columbia College and then started working in production and in production's freelance. So, like, I I started out working freelance and I really responded to freelance. I liked the constant change. But the notion of budgeting is just – because you don't know. You work for three weeks and then you don't work for a month and then you work for two weeks and then you don't work for a week and then you work two months. You know, I mean, it just – there's no way to yeah. say like, well, I can only spend this amount of money this month because you know, like, I don't know where the next money's coming from. You know,
2: I know even now, even now in Hollywood, yeah. like everyone understands that that's how our jobs work. I still had like a money management guy say to me like, "So, how much do you make a year?" And I was like, "I don't know." Yeah. What are you talking about who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: right, right, right.
2: It what all depends. Question.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it is. It's it's a it's a very strange life and i also find too you, you you know and i i don't know how if you found this but like when you because a i was like i didn't really care that much about doing theater I, I you know i went to film school and in my head i really did want to be an actor but i wanted to be a film actor and i you know and actually mm-hmm. film school is a good place for that because there's a bunch of film students making films and Everybody's they don't know actors And you're and if you're if you're halfway decent, you get people to be you get known as like, you know, I was in a bunch of short films and then and I was kind of known as like that guy can act. So, you know. Yeah.
2: That Um, guy will do our projects solid and be good to work with. And I mean, that's like a huge education too, is like teaching you how to have a good reputation and be like good to work with. Absolutely.
1: And I'm and you know, and being on set, that was it. It was like what I learned so much more from working on television commercials. You, you know, getting people coffee and loading trucks, learning how to be on set is like a huge thing that I don't think they can teach you at college. You have no. to go get a job. And then being on set as an actor isn't even, you know, that's like an even sort of a step up, you know, on on this mountain of weird knowledge that you just have to get used to, you know, being yeah. in this environment. Um, because yeah. it's, you know. The I've I've talked about it before. The first the first paid acting job I had was in a cable movie and it was in a scene opposite Sweezy Kurtz and Bo Bridges. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know, I didn't have That's I crazy. just had to kinda like be quiet and like, mm, uh and kinda yeah, is this where I stand or <laughs> Yeah. And then and then kinda just, you know, wait and sort of mm-hmm. you know, sort of like you could feel the hint of like, oh, I think I'm supposed to, I can go away for a while now. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, I think it's working. okay. For me. Yeah, yeah. Just standing there waiting for somebody to tell me exactly wait. what to do. I can't wait
2: to watch that movie and just try to find instances of you like looking unsure about where you should be standing. <laughs> like, it's just it one's.
1: Is. It's it. It actually is a really good movie. Michael Ritchie uh, was the director of it, who directed the. do you ever see the movie Smile? It's about uh, beauty pageants. It's kind of oh, he kind of had a very Altmany yeah. kind of. Thing. And he did a movie called Smile, which is fantastic. And he did some other things too. I, I can't think, I can't remember right now, but this was yeah. based, this movie is Holly Hunter was the star, which it was ridiculously exciting to be around Holly Hunter. Sure. And, um, and like, you know, I went to a table read of the movie because I just had one scene. I played like a, a, a sheriff's officer. And I went to one table read. And then when I was there on the day, uh, there were a bunch, it was at a, sh- it was supposed to be a sheriff's department, but it was actually a high school. And I had lines and there were like 15 other guys in sheriff's outfits hanging around at a picnic table outside the high school. And, uh, and I, I just went and hung out by them. And Mm -hmm. Holly Hunter walked by and said and like came over to me. She's like, Hey, you, how are you doing? You know, and I was shocked, like, I didn't even think that she had connected with me at all. You know, I was like, Oh, hey, hi, how are you? And then she was like, Oh, I'll see you later. No, and she walked away. And then I, you know, I kind of looked back and like all these all the guys are like, (laughs) Whoa, how did you do
2: that? (laughs) "Eh, What did you you say to her to get her to notice you, man? (laughs) Oh,
1: but it was um it it was i i definitely uh i i you know it, i i at least knew how to be on set that was one thing i guess you know it was yeah. it was something good
2: yeah um, i didn't know how to do that i didn't understand that the marks on the floor weren't like a ballroom dancing thing where you had to move from one to the other i didn't understand yeah, that i got yeah. one and then my friends got one <laughs> i thought like yeah, okay yeah, so yeah. I, I go white to green to orange right um, right <laughs> i also didn't know that you're supposed to like Get, I, I couldn't figure out the meals. I was like, when am I supposed to get my breakfast? And They'd be like, okay, you're on lunch now. And I was like thinking someone was going to bring it to me because there's so many things that, especially as an actor, it's like an actor, they treat you like you're a, a baby with like mittens on your hands. Like, mm-hmm. And it's not the crew people's fault. It's the culture of like, don't let the actors mess up their costume or don't let them wander off or we don't want them right. getting sweaty. So you don't want them right. walking far or whatever. So you get treated like you're wrapped in plastic a little bit. So you feel like you don't have any agency to just like, Go get a sandwich. Right, <laughs> it feels right. insane. And then you're asking another grown woman to be like, "Can you get me a sandwich?" Which also I hate. I always tell every costumer on set. I'm always like, "I I don't like the fact that you're a grown woman putting on another grown woman's shoes." So, however, yes. I can make this easier for you. Yeah, this feels insane.
1: <laughs> you have to. Yeah, sometimes you just have to like let someone tie your shoes. You know, like it, insane. It feels so wrong and so weird, but it, you just gotta let someone tie your shoes. And I, and they I, I get actually, their
2: shoulder to lean on them. Yes. So you're leaning on mm-hmm. a grown woman with thoughts and dreams of her own, putting <laughs> on a shoe that she is then tying like some yeah. Victorian maid. I hate yep. it. <laughs>
1: Thank you, momentary, mommy.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I and I, I I to the I always try and get my own food. I I just yeah. There's something about it that I just yep. I don't know whether it's from being a PA or something and just like being annoyed, being annoyed at bringing lunch to people who could have gotten their own fucking lunch, but they just, you know what I mean? I mean, there's some people that can't, but then there are other people when I can, I do.
2: I think the same thing. And a lot of times I've been told like the AD will be like, we really don't want you going all the way over there. You're going to get sweaty. We're gonna have to do touches again. Like, please stay here. And so I'm like, is that getting communicated to the PA though that I was gonna, but then I couldn't. Um, I work with Steve Carell on Space Force, and he's like, you know, one of the best comedy TV stars ever. He always gets his own stuff. And like, I he'd probably be mortified that I'm even telling a story about him because he doesn't like to be celebrated in that way. But like, yeah. somebody's like, hey, can I get you something to drink? And he's like, no, no, no I'm fine. And then two minutes later, he's up and getting it. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, just get your own Dr. Pepper. That's how yeah, I want to be. <laughs> be.
1: Well, I always too, I think it's also like I want to pick out my own lunch. Like I think that's another yeah, PA that's thing. Of, you know, it was always kind of like, no, I I want to do this for myself. I don't want someone else, you know, going and and getting it for me. Yeah. So, um well now now you get out of school and uh are have you decided to stay in Chicago before I you did. graduate or yeah, were you like at what point does that settle in where you're like I'm going to stay here. Like I like it here. I'm going to stay here
2: honestly, probably like my third or fourth year when everyone started talking about whether they were going to move to LA or New York. And, you know, I just, I really felt like, hey, like the one thing the school does really well is all of our teachers are working professionals here in Chicago. Like they Mm -hmm. all work at the big theaters. So this is a chance to like really work in these theaters that we've been going to watch so much. And, you know, our Shakespeare teacher worked at Goodman and. You know, everybody worked at Steppenwolf. So I was like, that's where I want to be. I want to like work at Steppenwolf and Goodman. You know, the problem is, is that for being such a great comedy town, the theater scene is not a great comedy theater scene, or at least it wasn't. I shouldn't say anymore. Um, So for me, just kind of being a little bit of a goof, I didn't find a lot of roles that felt great. I, I did some good work and I'm proud of it, but it literally took until... I was already at Second City and a friend of mine who's a New York playwright, Chris Diaz, he'd written a, a really huge hit show called The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity. And everybody loved it. It was a really great show. And then he came back to Chicago because he was like, I love workshopping plays here. And he wrote a play for me. He wrote a play called The Upstairs Concierge, which was his way of bridging kind of the what we call the downtown theater scene, like the, the, the subscriber-based theater scene with The comedy scene. And so, you know, I got to be in this farce about a weird celebrity-driven hotel, and we put it on at Goodman, and it absolutely flopped. They absolutely hated it. Mm. Only one critic had anything good to say about it. But I I felt like the show had merit. And again, here's me blaming the audience again, but I was just like, oh, I just don't think this audience is, you know, the the week prior I'd been at the Goodman watching the Horton Foot Festival or something. So they, they weren't used to or ready for... That kind of subversive comedy on their v- yes. very expensive stages. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But I. But I stayed because I, I wanted to do that type of work. I really wanted to work at Steppenwolf, and I. I did not. But I. I tried real hard.
1: I also don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think there's really uh, good theatrical comedy anymore. You know. I. I mean. I. Not that I've seen in a long time. It's very rare. But I should also say. I'm also kind of biased against theater in general. It seems sure. it it's, it's very old fashioned. It's like, it's like the, the sort of like the issues that it seems to tackle. I never feel, and I'm not, you know, I'm not young, but I still feel like this is for people older than me. Like this is, yeah, yeah. this is like, this is kind of like yesterday's ethos. And, uh,
2: And I I probably felt that way too, especially when I wasn't getting cast. I was like, ah, because this is all old white people shit and no one's casting me. But then I think I did, I I started getting to know the young playwrights, the people my age and younger. There's a great playwright named Ike Holter who puts on to this day, some of the funniest, most poignant plays I've seen. But he was like, he was a schoolmate of mine at DePaul. And I, I remember a time when people didn't really know his name in the theater community. And he was just, doing his same thing, just writing good stuff. So I I feel like that window, I I feel like there is, you know, there's good comedy now in the theater, but it takes, it takes these kind of subversive, you know, I think one of his favorite shows is probably Big Mouth. So it's, it's people like him who are watching TV and, you know, probably who have always been influenced by, by TV comedy, bringing it to theater.
1: Or Book of Mormon, you know, written by, you know, South Park guys, you know, like it's, uh, you know that like that's one of the funniest things i've ever seen but that and it but it's kind of an anomaly like there's not i haven't i mean i i'm not the expert on it so i'm probably talking on my ass and people are going to be pissed but just, well I am too but <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I just think, feel you like know what people don't say. go to the theater to laugh like that you know they don't go well, to the theater I think
2: they do but yeah. there's all, there's still an old fashioned reverence for the theater and yeah. especially when you're paying $50 a seat or whatever the hell and parking and dinner I think and it's more than Chicago that now yeah. probably more. I know my prices are probably from 2001 but I, I still think people think that it needs to be important it's like a, a shade less than going to the opera and they don't always see the importance in comedy. So yeah. I think the subscribers are driving what, especially the big regional theaters, are willing to put on because they they just need a hit. They just need butts and seats. So they have to do Christmas Carol every year. I really sound like I'm going hard at Goodman, and I'm really not. But, you know, they have to do these big shows that are going to bring butts and seats. They got to do a chorus line or some big musical yeah. in the spring, and maybe they're not taking the chances as often on except for their little window of like fall diversity corner where they get you know yeah, five yeah. playwrights to share one uh production slot
1: yeah but, or there's some weird little side room that they do things that are oh, kind of yeah. interesting and in, yeah
2: a big kid yeah, a side room <laughs> the,
1: the 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 butts that are in the seats are old butts <laughs> that's always yeah. the problem too is it is a very old person's game so
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Can't you tell my
1: loves are growing so how do you how do you come to improv or you just you know did you just go see a show at second city did you go to the annoyance you know the...
2: I used to go you know one of my DePaul instructors for a minute was Susan messing um, oh, yeah, so <laughs> I used to go see her stuff Or I'd she's an TV amazingly and talented
1: Chicago improviser for people that don't know who just she's... has been there forever. she's a, a fixture now.
2: She's one of the funniest people in the world. And I met her at a time when uh, I was having like a, a tough th- thing happening in my life. And then the school also was basically, I'm in this super self-important school and everyone's trying to do a highbrow intellectual theater. And I'm dealing with this stressful personal thing. And she came at a time where she was just basically like poking us in the stomach and telling us to fuck off. So yeah. when I first met Susan, it was like. It was like someone had dumped water all over me. And I was like, no, fuck this. We paid all this money. We're trying to get these important jobs. And how dare she come and be so irreverent? Um, and then I really grew to love and cherish what she was doing there. Um, So yeah, it, it, it had always been like in the ether, like, oh yeah, Chicago is a place where we can go see a bunch of comedy while we then pursue our very serious theater jobs. Um, But then literally I was doing a play that my friends had written that was about... um it was like a musical kind of parody show. And we just did a reading of it. And the um, director of talent at Second City came to it and she was like, Hey, come work for us. Uh, and what I found out was because uh, Christina Anthony, who's a great actress was going on vacation and they needed a black woman understudy. Cause they didn't have any. Mm. Um, so then they brought me on to basically like cover her stuff. And then after a while they were like, why don't you go try this out of town show? So I went to Rochester, New York for like five months of my life or something wild. Uh, and learned to improvise on stage alongside these people, some of whom had been doing it for like 15, 20 years. Wow. Uh, and did this terrible show in Rochester, New York, that was half sketch, half improv. And then after that, they were like, okay, we're going to put you on like a track. If you like doing this, you can do the, you know, the touring company, you'll tour for a couple years and we'll put you hopefully on a stage. Like that's always the goal, right? To tour and then get on the stage. And so I did, I just kind of stuck with it because I think I liked the, I liked the newness of it every day. Like even when we were doing sketches, you know, you'd only do a sketch for a couple of weeks, and then you do something else. As opposed to in theater, we would do the same show for a few months. You're saying the exact same lines. I mm-hmm. wanted Yeah, I wanted something uh that that shifted more. Um, so yeah, and then once at Second City, I was like, Oh, I feel like this is the way to get TV work because if I can prove that I'm funny rather than just being a good actor, I feel like that'll separate me out from all of the very good actors in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So that's when I just went hard towards comedy. Cause it was making me happier and it was yielding better results.
1: Yeah. And it also too, I think you're, um, I just think that you're more like you're, you're, you can, you can do more things like you're, you know, like your feet are more firmly planted. I think than people that are just used to this one kind of thing, especially, yeah you know the notion that you can go you know like for for me like doing you know my early performing was all doing hour and a half shows where we didn't know what we were going to say at the beginning of the show and doing those at you know at yeah. the peak like 6 days a week you, yep. you then when you go in and you do on a you know you go to a commercial audition it's easy. It's like, I can, I know, I know what the fuck to do here. Like, it's like, yeah, this I can is make not this daunting. Yeah. <laughs> this is not daunting. This is not nerve wracking or anything. Right. Um, yeah, d- now easy. did you meet your husband during this time?
2: Yeah. I met him in a band. So at the same what? time that I was like doing my very sparse theater gigs a year, you know, two or three theater gigs a year and bartending and, uh, I started singing back up in some bands and some like bar bands and cover bands and tribute bands. And he played in a, a band of like original music, but um, yeah, they were kind of just like weekend guys. They all had other jobs and careers. One dude was in grad school. Nate, my husband was in advertising, but on the weekends they would play like pretty decent sized gigs. And uh, my longtime collaborator who was also from the theater world, Bethany, um, Bethany Thomas, she emailed me one day and was like, Cause this was like a little pre-texting. So it was like you emailed somebody when you needed to give them right. information. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, Hey, do you want to come play in this band? Um, there's not really a lot of pay, but there's always beer. The guys are cute. Everyone's really nice. I was like, sure. Um, yeah. And so he was a drummer in that band. Um, but he was also kind of the, the wrangler. He almost was like the manager of the band. Cause he was the yeah. most like kind of business, like on top of it guy, which I really appreciated because, uh, that's sort of how I, I was sort of the the wrangler of anything I was producing mm-hmm. or putting on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I had I always like I I always had that kind of when at a party when the police came they would say get Andy <laughs> like have him go talk to him get more Andy. you know oh like God. when we when we all like would you know drop acid and somebody would decide to drive to the Michigan yep. Dunes I would say. I don't think we should do that. And then I'd be—I would realize, okay, I've lost this battle. And my my, even though I'm tripping as hard as they are, my yeah. solution was like, all right, but I'm driving. Like like somehow like, like like that would be better. But I I just felt like no, these fuck ups. I can't let them yeah. behind the wheel. It's got to be me who like sweats and and you know feels like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feels like open the window, no, close the window, turn on the radio, no, turn off the radio. Oh,
2: I'm tripping too hard, you know. <laughs> but you're um, like the better me than them. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Andy, we were the same friend. We were the yeah. same friend. <laughs> I love my that. S- I was, and yeah. my son has the
1: burden of it too. Like his friends in high school called him dad because he was always the oh. one that would that would be like, uh, I don't know, we shouldn't do that. Or, you know, we better get out of here kind of this stuff. This is brutal. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did uh, at that time, are you thinking you're going to stay in Chicago and just kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, did you have any kind of long term plans looking forward at that time?
2: At that time, you know, my husband and I were dating and we were like really loving the music scene. I was in a Talking Heads tribute band that. Oh, cool. Put a good deal. Yeah. We would like put on Stop Making Sense. We do the whole thing, like the whole production. um With each the year, suit in like, the. Big venues.
1: The yeah. suit and the lamp and everything. and
2: Wow, everything, cool. Everything, the props, the lights, everything. We'd do it like at the Riv or at like some big uh, venue. And it was really fun. And then I was playing with um, this guy, John Langford, who's a, a British uh, punk guy from the 80s who then kind of took on more of like a rootsy alt-country sound. So, and and he's he was on a label called Bloodshot that I sort of was like dabbling with. And we sort of like released an album where I was singing backup in his band. So I would tour with him. I I was getting on stage at Second City I was like not having to uh bartender wait tables anymore. This was like twenty eleven, I think I quit my day job, which was huge. I mean, to to not yeah. have to work some side job to just make the money from like bands, acting, and you know, I do like one or two little commercial gigs a year and uh and comedy was like I've hit the holy grail. This is incredible. It um, is
1: it sounds fantastic.
2: It it's like how great. how much fun, you know. Yeah. I still yeah. say if you wanna be an artist, like Chicago's the city to do it in because it's not as bone crushingly ex- expensive as New York and LA. And there's enough oper- there's enough hustly little gigs to do. Yeah. Um uh, it's still my artistic home and, and all my friends, all my bandmates are still there. They're all like they're all like working three or four little passion gigs that they love. And I don't know, it just seems like a place to, to do what you love. You gotta do a lot of it, but but you can do it. Yeah.
1: In. It's a beautiful yeah. place to live. It is like it' you're, it's very hard to get fuck you money working mm-hmm. in a creative field in Chicago. Um, but you can, you can, you know, you can have a nice, a nice life. You know, it's, yeah. and like I say, it's just, I still, I just miss what a nice place it is to live. Like what a beautiful yeah. place it is to live. Like it just, yep. it's, it's a gorgeous town and it is, you know, it and it does have like, humility and sort of a sense of humor about itself. And it's, I, I just, I really like it. It's really, oh,
2: too.
1: Uh, go Chicago. Yeah. Go um, Chicago. I yeah. hope you're
2: all listening and you hear us singing your praises.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what, what swept you, what stole you from Chicago?
2: Um I always say this, but I'm like, I, I just, I got killed off all the ambulance shows. Like I did my little one line on Chicago fire. There's a show called sirens at the time, a show called crisis. I literally like was killed off of them or was my storyline was ended in one small scene on each yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, I got to, I guess I want to do TV. This seems like kind of the next step. So I sort of tentatively went to LA. My my husband, Nate, was like, hey, let, do me a favor. We can go there and stuff, but let's not move to LA. And I was like, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. That's crazy. Um, we started trying to buy a building in, uh, in Little Village in Chicago because we were like, okay, and the ground floor we're gonna have a big like recording area recording studio and upstairs we'll have our apartment then we'll rent out the next apartment so we had this whole like three flat plan uh and then i came to la to do like a pilot season didn't book anything of course um but then in august i came back in august and uh was just here for six weeks i think and i booked um bajillion dollar properties and yeah and then i was like okay i guess i'm doing this for the next couple months and then we did that for a couple months. And then in between, I did like a guest spot on some sitcoms I got cut out of. But then Bajillion came back for like two more little seasons. So like the work just kind of kept rolling. And it seemed less and less likely that I could really go back for any amount of time. Uh, so at a certain point, we just like sent a, a pod full of our stuff out to L.A. And we were like, I guess we live here now. It was very strange because we didn't like yeah. make a choice. We didn't have like a going away party we were just like oh yeah yeah we'll be back and we kept kind of coming back and then we were like oh I guess because things are good um we're staying and because Nate's advertising job was headquartered in LA he was working at their firm in Chicago but it was headquartered in LA so they were like yeah come work at the headquarters so we were like I guess we can't be assholes about this people have it way harder we should just go where the work is
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: and it's and it's
1: not it's not bad living here, you know. Like there's a lot of really no. good people, and it's, uh, you, know, the, you know, the weather. You know, there's always the weather. Yeah. Um hey man, the weather's Yeah, bad. yeah. And <laughs> and you really do feel there is a difference between like here. We just were singing its praises. Like yeah, you can you can do it in Chicago, but there is something about when you come to L.A. or New York for that matter, and you and you make money and you get a
2: yeah. job.
1: And you're like, oh, OK, this is yeah. like this is I was, you know, I was like drinking sort of like weak coffee. Now I'm getting espresso yeah. shot directly <laughs> into my veins, and you know, and even if you're not like some sort of showbiz megalomaniac, it still is like, oh, this is the goods. This is stuff is uncut. This is the pure is stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is
2: a pure just line to the brain of yeah. work. I guess show business.
1: Is. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, and the and there's so much work. There's so also, there's so many yep. potential jobs that one could have or be rejected yep. from. But it's it's uh, intoxicating.
1: It also feels too, you know, like you are threading this needle that you started out years and years ago. Wondering if it was possible, wondering yeah. if you could pull it off. And then it's like, holy shit, I can. And wow, you know, I mean, I, you know, just the, I still can't, like, I made, I made my living doing this silly nonsense, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it, it's still, I have moments of like where I'm like, wow, that, that's, I'm lucky or talented or combination thereof or just, you know, yeah. but certainly fortunate. So,
2: yeah. fortunate um, For sure. I like that word. Yeah. Cause you're right. It's like we're talented and we work hard. Great. But there's a lot of people like that who it isn't happening for. So yeah. that's where some kind of, there's, there's some kind of intangible element happening. That's like, yeah, some sort of fortunate element. And I, I just felt like, Oh, so many people want to do this. I would be insane not to keep following yeah. this. As long as I like it, you know, did,
1: did you know, uh cool up the LASIK, uh, is the creator of Bajillion, which uh, for people that don't know was, uh, I thought when I, cause I, and that was the first time I ever met you is that yeah, you and so I were in a, sh- in a show together uh, in a really gross house in the Hills. Uh, do you remember <laughs> that house? I that it
2: was gross. It I was remember really I was probably gross. still so new to LA that I was like, wow, what wealthy people must live here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I hadn't met you before. So I did, I, you know, it just like, I don't, having been on Conan Island for all those years, like there's a lot of people like that would come through UCB in different places and that I, yeah. I just wouldn't be aware of. So I didn't really know who you were. Did you know who before, or was it just, did you just audition and no. got the gig? Wow. Yeah. I
2: just auditioned and got the gig and I met her and Scott and I'd, I'd heard of uh comedy bang, bang the podcast, but I wasn't like enough of a listener that I could put together who he was or who she was to him or anything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I just kind of auditioned and the audition was all improv. And oh my God, I had just spent, you know, five years of doing eight shows a week for 300 drunk strangers at Second City. So probably my first job in LA would not have been a scripted job because I just had not had that much practice saying any sort of scripted words, but improv I could nail. So I came in and like Scott and Kulop both said really lovely kind things to me about my improvising and I was like what you mean that bullshit that me just talking to say whatever I want that's nothing what are you talking about
1: <laughs> yeah 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 uh, Yeah. I do that all the time yeah yeah
2: well I, I, I you just lo- see me in my house
1: <laughs> I was I was just struck by the genius of the concept of the show being you know a realty company but then you just went to actual houses that were set for sale yeah. and shot there. Like yeah. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Like you don't you don't need studio space. You just these no. houses are sitting empty anyway. You might as well go shoot in them, you know? And yep. um, I was like, damn, cool I up, wish I'd genius. thought of that. Yeah. She
2: was a genius in terms of using all the all the parts of the animal. She would literally be like, okay, so this scene only needs to take place in the dining room. Great. So that house is going to be dressed this way. It's going to be with this decor or whatever. But then we're going to shoot this other scene that's supposed to be in a Spanish style house in Santa Monica, just right next to it in the hallway. And we're just going to put some yep. art on the wall. So she would yep. turn one location into like five different sets. It was yep. very
1: cool. That's that's the fun problem solving of directing is is little things like that. It's like you know oh shit we're running late. Let's just we'll just turn the camera around. We'll look into this corner rather than go down yep. the street. You know um, yeah. And uh, did, did 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 you get an agent then? You know, or is it like uh, here or did you have an agent here? You know, was there? I,
2: I had one. I had one in Chicago who I really loved. I was with Stuart Talent. They were like. They were like the coolest when I was a young, like theater school kid. I was just dreaming. I was like, maybe one day I'll be with Stuart Talent because they represented all the big, like regional theater artists. And um, so I I held on to them for a long time while I was in L.A. And literally probably got, you know, moved on from them way too late because at the point that I said, like, hey, I'm going to move on. I need to get like an agent out here. They were like, yeah, of course (laughs) you do. What are you doing?
1: (laughs) So is that is that when you start getting, you know, these these other gigs like on uh, on uh, I'm forgetting that I'm blanking on the Steve Carell the show Space uh, Force I do
2: Space Force with Steve yeah. Carell yeah I um I I don't know you know it, there's never been like a and now I'm doing this like it has been such a fortunately such a steady climb gig to gig thing to thing of like oh and now I get something that feels a little more permanent or now I get like a recurring thing or now yeah. I, I finally do a pilot it it just felt like. Nothing has been windfall. It feels like I have been steadily working since I quit that bartending job in 2011. And I I just keep following the little the little breadcrumb trail and go into the next thing. Mm -hmm. So it's nice. It also just doesn't feel like there was no moment where I sat there and went and now I've made it. I was just like, well, I probably need to get another like couple episodes on something. I need a recurring thing next.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's been your favorite? You'd, I mean, is the Star Trek job? I mean, as you say, a Star Trek person is that like the biggest sort of pinch me kind of job that you've had?
2: Maybe just because there's not a lot of like fandoms I'm a part of. Like, I I was never like a Marvel person or Star Wars person. I I watched Star Wars, but I just never was like this is my thing. Since I was a kid, I was very into Star Trek, and my parents are, and I I had always loved Star Trek and knew a good deal about it, so. To get that job, I I voice um, a character on Star Trek Lower Decks, which is uh, their only animated comedy. Um, It's not the only animated Star Trek; there was one back in the seventies, but it's the only like adult comedy, animated comedy. And Star Trek is one of those places that you know has had a history of hiring like super theater actor. You know, Patrick Stewart is like the most you know high heightened language intellectual type. So I was like, ah, there's no way I'll ever work for a Star Trek property. Everybody there is too cool and serious yeah. and then this goofy you know it's by uh one of the writers from rick and morty my friend mike mcmahon he, he comes along and creates this like total hilarious loose you know we improvise a lot uh show and yeah i was like oh my god finally like a, a way i can be part of this world so that felt the coolest just because it, it felt like a thing that i always loved but that i was gonna never be able to pierce i was never gonna mm-hmm. be part of it And you've maintained, you've
1: kept doing music. I mean, how, uh, is there, is that like something that you need to do or is it just because it's so much fun, you know, that you still do it?
2: I feel like I got to do it. I, you know, I've always been very DIY and very indie and kind of outside of the music business. Um, I've had some things on, on that label in Chicago, Bloodshot, but it, it wasn't, I never had like a big label deal and now I'm trying to be a pop person and now I have a music manager. I've always just been like, well, I'm gonna make a thing and I'm gonna put it out. I'm gonna have some shows and people are gonna come to it. And hopefully I can piggyback it onto some TV job I'm doing that'll actually make me some money so that I'm not just losing all my money making this record. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's been a it's been a supplemental career that I know would not be possible without my TV career. So yeah. I feel very, very, very fortunate for that because I have a lot of friends who are, you know, it's their main thing and it's it's a slog. It's harder than acting for sure.
1: Yes, I, I, I can't even imagine being in the music business. It's I mean,
2: insane. Cause, yeah, it's insane because, like, you think about the littlest thing. Like, we have a union. We have an actors' union. Yeah. If you're just like a guy who plays guitar in an indie band, there's no safety net. There's no one fighting for Mm-mm. your rights or your <laughs> humanhood. Yeah, it's an insane business.
1: I'm always struck to, and I'm because I'm I compare it to acting and improv and comedy, and I and I think like. You know, like the real sort of like lower rungs of the music ladder is like shitty clubs with indifferent people, and but mm. I feel like, but and yeah, you're still getting to play music, but I just feel like yeah, but in comedy, you're making people laugh or something, you know, like and you know, they they it's harder for them to ignore you and stuff, and I also too, I always have this feeling when I'll like I just I was it was a year or so ago, and we were at a a a restaurant. Uh, down downtown of like uh, you know Newport area beach kind of place, and there was li- a live guitarist, and I didn't I couldn't he was like over my shoulder behind me in in like a next room playing, and I'm hearing him play, and I'm like, holy shit, that guy's fantastic, yeah. and I, you know and I turn around and I'm watching him, and then I'm I just it hits me like that guy's playing in a steakhouse. Like, that, yeah. you know, like it's like that guy, it, it, the the talent and the work and everything. And it's just like there's so many steakhouses with just brilliant <laughs> artists sitting yeah. there being ignored, being background sound. And it just feels so, I don't know, it just makes, you know, I got depression issues anyway. I don't need to see that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, if I can, though, because I, I know a lot of those steakhouse uh, people. I know a lot yeah, of them. Yeah they're not all depressed a lot of them aren't. okay but it's just me it's just them, me lot, <laughs> no I think you're right I think to to me it did seem too daunting to j- just try to be a mu- musician and I don't mean just like it's not worthy I mean like for me to only do that right. it would have been very hard but for you I,
1: it's like for you for your own needs yeah yeah
2: yeah I, I just knew I couldn't I couldn't really hack it frankly I knew I'd yeah. g- get discouraged and I wouldn't make it I was never going to be some shiny pop star And that's really all that sells. You know, you get a big record deal and you get a song on TikTok and then you can kind of pay your rent. But other than that, like if you want to just like write good music and tour in a little indie band, you can do it again. I highly suggest living in Chicago where you can like then get a little like corporate gig on the side. My one friend Mm -hmm. um, composes music for like slot machines and and video games out of this headquarters in Chicago. And then on the weekends, he gets to go be, you know, a a rock and roll guy. Um, But so a lot of them, yeah, they might be playing a steakhouse or, like, I have another friend who's in a really popular wedding band in the Chicago area. He loves it. And then during the week, he's, like, a super intense studio guy. Like, he's helping you record your record. Or if, like, mm. the Black Keys come through town, he's, you know, engineering and, like, working at the studio. So you you might catch him on a gig that doesn't seem great. But you I don't see. know yeah. the whole, you know, they might be doing other stuff that's, like, really fulfilling.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so don't get right. sad, man. I'm an asshole, no um, <laughs> I know, I know.
2: <laughs> and now if you had if you
1: had to choose between music and acting, I mean Do I have to eat? You don't have to choose. Huh? No, you just eat food. In this <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, say like say like one gets so you know, one gets so consuming of your time and and that you can't do the other. Which would you prefer to be?
2: If if in some alternate universe where music was so consuming of my time, that means it would be paying me a livable yeah. wage. And I, I, I yeah, would, yeah. I would do that. I think it makes me happier. I'm more, cause you know, I am, I am I'm doing a little bit of comedy in between the, in between the songs, there's banter right. going on. So right. it feels more what I, am and I love being in the studio. I love just being a little studio rat recording head. Um, I I would just do that. I would make records and I would tour them with my friends and I'd go back and make records again. But I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening.
1: Well, it's, it's neat that you have, I mean, it's really cool that you have this, you know, it's really cool that you have, that you have both because I always feel like things like that, they inform each other and they make you better at both things. You know, A makes you better at B and B makes you better at A. Um, I hope so.
2: I, I hope think all so. my time in, in the Talking Heads tribute band, I hope me memorizing the words and movements to life during wartime
1: yeah, yeah. has helped
2: me be an, on Netflix.
1: <laughs> or or that one that's like, Ha, Hira Saka, hey, ha, you know, yeah. like all the, you Yzimbra. know, like that. Yeah, Izimbra, <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. Like that one, I'd forget all that shit. I'd have to just, I'd be making oh, shit man. up. Oh, <laughs> man.
2: Um, I could do it, but I won't do it here. Everyone can go, you can go right. listen to it. You don't want you can go that. You didn't to ask it. me you to do that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I certainly did not um well i mean do you have what's what's your big wh- where's next for you like do you have and it it could be also in your personal life i mean do you, you know are you you know mm-hmm. are there family plans are there i mean i know that i always feel like it's a weird thing to ask but it's just like
2: uh no you know it's or, not weird i don't we're you know we're child free and i think you're gonna keep it that way yeah i would i would like a dog one day that's something we're gonna have to talk about But uh, I think like career wise, though, what I'm really into, I've been doing a lot of writing and I've been trying to uh, I've kept my music and my acting pretty separate. But now I'm kind of trying to blend it and um, write, you know, features and stuff about uh, my work and my experience in the music industry, because I've just by being kind of a fringy outsider DIY artist, I've just had some wild experiences that I feel like we don't see. Uh, black women, especially, you know, portraying in media, we see a lot of like indie rock stories about about lovely white people, and we mm-hmm. don't see a lot of that for for black folk and in, in that genre of music. Um, yeah. So yeah, I want I want some stuff that that get that allows me to showcase some of those skills, but 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 on the screen, I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want yeah. like a yeah. I want Is I want that- to blend the careers a little bit.
1: Yeah. So there isn't like some specific like, I want to direct my own film that I've written and I've been sitting on and want to do that. Like it's it's just kind of just.
2: Yeah. No, I have that, too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got one of those. I got one or two of those. I don't know that I need to direct it, but I I wrote it. I wrote all the songs I want. I want someone who also is a musician to direct it maybe with me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You want to be in it? Sure.
1: I okay. got time. I did like I said, I or? no, 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 but I could fake it.
2: Yeah. I have, true. I
1: have, I have faked it a number of times, uh, on, um, in different situations, you know, did just it make kinda, you want to you know,
2: learn when you, when you faked it on camera? Were you like, nah, now I got to play the bass. You know, I don't,
1: I, I just don't have the knack for it. I love music and I listen to music all the time. And I, and it's a very important thing to me. And I, you know, like, you know spotify has just been like such a just such a great godsend for me because i also just mostly like old music um mm-hmm. i mean i listen to some new music but like i like old soul music i like old country music i like old pop yeah. music but like and spotify introduces me to old you know 70 year old shit that i had never heard before um yeah. but it does not translate into me wanting to do it, I, there's there's kind of an urge. Like I'd I'd really kind of like to know, but I have I tried to play the cornet when I was a kid. I was in band. The cornet. Yes, oh. the cornet. Um, I and I took guitar lessons, but I just think the ADD gets in the way of yeah. of really being able to to do it. And it also is not uh, like. You know, like a friend of mine has a six year old daughter who can sit down like hear a tune and sit down and pick it out on the piano. Yeah. I could I d I can't do that. I don't I like I I don't know what a C is. I don't know what a F is. Right. You know. I don't I don't know. I and I and I can and I've attempted to learn and I've been in situations where it learns and it just eh, it doesn't my brain doesn't work that way it's like it's like some kind of math that I don't understand that I like sure. and I'm that way with math. I don't understand numbers. You can tell me about numbers and stuff and I uh, think I get it and then if I you know if two minutes go by then I'm not thinking about it it all goes right out of my brain so sure
2: i i yeah, I you're mean not I would drawn to it it's not like – yeah it's not yeah.
1: It's, it's not a language that speaks to me you know sure. and so you know there there's other things uh, that I'm good at and I just kind of have gotten used to the notion of like okay that's just not in my skill set um yeah. my I mean, kids just, are much better at it you know my kids yeah. my kids have some musical talent which they kind of you know like pick up and drop at at will and you know? I'm like mm-hmm. oh, I'll play guitar for a while and then I won't for months you know
2: yeah well that was that yeah. was my thing is you know I was surrounded by I, I always say I'm lousy with guitar virtuosos. <clears throat> I probably know 15 of yes. some of the best guitar players you'll ever meet. Um. So I I learned, I learned from one of them and he was like, wow, well, you learn fast. You If you stuck with this, you could be really good. And I was like, yeah, but I kind of just wanted to learn enough so that I could write parts. So I kind of learned every instrument enough so that I could write a part and then I could hand it off to someone else in the studio. And then when we perform it live, I just want to sing and like have my work come to life. I don't want to... I don't yeah, need to yeah. be the guitar guy, you know? Right. Um. I, I have been and, playing a lot of drums lately, though, and that is, uh, the last, like, three years, I've been really focusing on them, and I'm like, this, I, f- I feel like I could be a drum guy. I could be a drum yeah, guy. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I bet it's <laughs> cathartic, too.
2: It's fun. Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it. And it's, it yeah. seems
2: easier. This sounds insane, but after playing all those other things, like, m- mediocre to bad, drums seem like, oh, man, this is a breeze.
1: yeah. If you could, uh, thank you so much for your time. I want to wrap it up here. And, uh, you know, if you could take all of what you've learned and put it into kind of, you know, one little neat package that ends a podcast well, um, uh-huh. what would it, what what do you think that would be? I mean, what, you know, and like I say, I always say it's, it doesn't have to be about show business. You know, a lot of times it is, and we end up talking about career stuff, but, you know, it could also just be.
2: I think, I mean, this is a little show busy, but it feels like all the different boxes I tried to like put myself in or all the things I thought I was supposed to learn or supposed to do at, at the end, the thing that is making me the most successful is just being myself and following the things that I like. So uh, I'm grateful for all the experiences, but I would say like folks shouldn't be, if you're, if you're trying to be in, in any sort of way in showbiz, like don't. I don't know. Don't stress too hard about making the right choices. Just follow things that you like. Do something new. Try something else. Have a couple side hustles, and at the end, they'll all start working in concert together. At the end, like I'm at the end of my life. But you know, when you're <laughs> yeah, no, I know. You <laughs> when know, you're working. When it'll you, start working when in concert. you become a real grown up. You know, like, yeah, it, you know, I, I guess that's what I yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, you're a grown up. No, well I think. I mean, you know, I think. It's like just I I think that there's something very enviable about just how varied your career is. And it just sounds really super fun. And and you don't you know, like you, you don't have a lot of the bullshit of, you know, like if you were if you were like the star of a giant sitcom, like mm-hmm. that's consuming, you know. and it, yeah. And there's also a lot of bullshit involved, whereas you yeah.
2: kind of, you know. You get to dabble and that's just yeah awesome, you know? I get to bounce around. I get to do different little things and I mean, you know, I'll take I'll take the sitcom job for a for a minute. Oh but, hell uh, yes. No, I I, I, I listen. Well, we're, we're putting ourselves out there. Andy and I will uh star your sitcom. <laughs> we will be the leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can also it can be
1: dumb and unfulfilling. Yeah. I'll fucking I am do not your proud.
2: I don't oh, care.
1: Give me the I'll, yeah.
2: I'll say I'll say the stupidest jokes. I'm not gonna pretend to be smarter than you. Like, let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's let's have a dumb, the dumbest sitcom. It's just called like <laughs> my old foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's called <"Burr."> uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I I do
1: have standards, but I also, you know, like there's also too there's work, there's work, and yeah. there's kind of like, and you can also. It's very rare that I've been in situations. Where I didn't have some fun, like where I didn't sort yeah. of make some fun out of it. Um, yeah. I mean, there, I've had some miserable jobs. Oh, but yeah. Luckily, luckily, they were never they were always, you know, kind of like just a day or two or yeah. a week. And then you're sort of like, OK, that, you know,
2: I've gotten lucky that, with that, too, where the the actual the absolute hell job is only like maybe a week where your manager calls and they're like, so how was it? And you're just like, well, it was a way to make a living. And I don't want to talk about it anymore.
1: It was miserable. It was disorganized. No one knew what the fuck they were doing. And they were rude and the food was bad at you know and And my trailer smelled. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I got bitten by an animal. Um um, Well Tony, thank you so much uh, for yeah, your time. It's you. been great talking to you and really uh
2: appreciate it
1: and good luck with everything going forward and um you know I thank you I hope to see you out there uh, on campus soon yeah so.
2: i'll I'll see you on the campus thanks Andy. I've been a fan for such sure. a long time, so it's such it's so nice yeah, like getting to know you the last few years so oh nice thank you.
1: you thank you and 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 me to you and all of you out there. it's been lovely. Well, I don't know you, you people out there, you faceless podcast listeners, but I'm glad you got to know us. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. pretty
2: great, right? Yeah. Watch My Dumb Dad Thursdays at 9 on Fox. (laughs) 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 All right. We'll be back next week with more
1: The Three Questions. Bye.
2: The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Your Wolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate is Jen Samples, supervising producer, Aaron Blair, and executive producers, Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts.
0: Can't you tell my loves are growing? Can't Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile.